We are on air. This episode of LedgerCast is brought to you by Nexo. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash Nexo to check it out. They offer uh, crypto lending. You can use uh, cryptocurrencies as collateral. Most recently, PAXG, which is really cool, which is a gold token. And you can deposit that on Nexo and take a loan out. If you can't repay that loan, then they'll take your collateral if the price gets too out of whack. Uh, but it's a really cool service, and you should check it out. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash Nexo to learn more about it. And thanks to Nexo for being a Ledger Status partner. Now, let's get to the show. Isn't that how collateral works? That's how collateral works, but you're supposed to say it. <laughs> Also, are they still our sponsor? I wasn't sure. <laughs> they they are our sponsor, and we are live right now. And hello, everybody, and welcome to the LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard. I'm here with Josh Olswich, who I'm not sure he knew he was on air, but he Oh, was. no, I knew. I don't, I don't think it matters, right? I mean, this is all, <laughs> if you want to see how the sausage is made, I mean, this is it, folks. It's right here. This is This is it. We're playing with new toys. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Good, man. The birds are out. You know, the birds are louder than ever. They came out after, um, uh, what is it? Daylight savings. They're not in quarantine. It's like they just knew they needed to tell everybody else that uh, that they are not social distancing, they're unquarantined, and they're doing fine. Well, it's like mating season for them, isn't it? Yeah, I guess that's uh, spring things, right? Not that's that what I they do. Know, but, or maybe like uh, the end of winter. Maybe this is more like uh, birthing season. They're just so loud, you know. Oh, the spring, <laughs> the spring chicks, you know. So in order to well, to birth the chicks, the action happened a little before. So, how's uh, Alabama? I'm not doxing you, am I? You're not doxing me. Alabama's doing fine, and it looks like we are live because Spericato was our first message that I got in chat. Nice. Um, um, are you guys officially social distancing, or what's apparently your Alabama is uh, maybe the worst at doing the self-isolation stuff in the country. Uh, in fact, Jefferson County, Bur- I live in Birmingham, is like ranked number two in the country for miles traveled per day or something like that. And uh, yeah, so we're not we're not doing the best on that front, but it's okay. I saw an interesting chart on that. It's like the grocery stores in the South are uh, two miles or more away from people in general. So like it's mm. it's hard to like just say people are moving more in the south just you know simply based on where they live to a food source it plays a big part in that. Yeah, you have to go somewhere to get anywhere. Uh you have to drive a bit in most parts of Alabama. I, yeah, I, I mean, live in I one surprised. of the hip urban centers where it's quite walkable but not many places in the state are like that. I was surprised though seeing like other uh, states that have lower population diversity than the South, you know, clearly on that chart, they're in quarantine, you know, Montana, Idaho, Arkansas, Michigan, even, you know, parts of Northern Michigan are just, there's nobody. Right. (laughs) But uh, it was, it was an interesting chart. Definitely. So Josh, is this a podcast about social distancing or a crypto podcast? I don't know. I mean, that's social distancing is just my life. So that's, that's all, all these people are messaging me and asking, you know, how do you I'm do doing. this? How are you so successful at this, <laughs> like this thing of not seeing human beings? I, uh, I think it's because a lot of uh, the crypto people are so connected online 
that uh, I feel like I have a vibrant social life just because I, I talk to so many people every day. It isn't face to face, but it's, uh, you know, it satisfies my social need, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But um, it's not for everybody. Um, yeah. Well, why don't we uh, dig into the things? Let's start uh, just as a reference point. What the heck is the price of Bitcoin right now? Because uh, it's like a magnet to 6666, it seems. It's a good number. It's 6723. 6723, down 1% on the day. Uh, apparently, we tapped like 7200, I guess, overnight. I missed it completely. Uh, did you catch any of that? Were you on the bandwagon for the $1,000 move that occurred? I wasn't. Uh, I was off the hedge bandwagon and I was off the short bandwagon. So in that regard, I was on the bandwagon for up, but I wasn't uh, long. Yeah. On well, a, this is long still leverage bandwagon. Still, just looks like a bunch of sideways chop to me. Like we haven't really determined very much. Although we did get the type of move we talked about last week. Um, I think when we were talking, we were like at sixty five hundred, and by the time I got the show out, we were already uh, tapping six k. So we got about five hundred dollars of what ended up being maybe a eight hundred dollar move uh in that in that time frame so we got a little bit of action but it's all still kind of a mess but you know we're grinding up um it looks like it's got some down potential for sure to me uh, if we break down from this wedge or flag or whatever you want to call it but uh yeah it's uh what do you think you got any thoughts on price yeah so i was watching the four hour last week we were talking about four hour kuma breakout and then that sort of evolved into a flat head and shoulders that broke down at six five didn't hit the target and now it popped back up on april 1st ish which is quarterly rollover uh so now i'm watching the six hour cloud anytime like a four hour or lower time frame fails i just move up the time frame so six hour cloud is posting uh bullish come twist soon with all the other metrics being bullish, so that's are you taking good. much? Are you are you like giving that much merit when it's? It, 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 I feel like we're entering this 2018 potential, you know, like of just the the squeeze um, and chop where things like your trend following strategies that you and I love so much stop working. Um, are you keeping an eye out for that for false signals? I mean, sure, it shot me up earlier this week once, which prevented me from. And re-entering again, like I wasn't about to get chopped up a second time, uh, even though I thought we were headed up, you know, based on, I didn't, okay, so I didn't think we were headed up. I thought that if the head and shoulders was invalidated um, on that right shoulder, that we had a good chance of bullish continuation. So, you know, in the near term, I think things look okay. As far as like zooming out, you know, 7.2 is a really big resistance level on the yeah. daily cloud. I haven't looked at the weekly. I haven't looked at the 20 weekly. Where um, Do you know where that's at? The 20 week? I do not know exactly where it's at, but it's, uh, I, I agree with you on that kind of 7,200 to 7,400 is the underside of our over exuberant uh, pump breakdown. That's actually the 20 week is 6,966, but we are on the underside of it. It looks like we did like a, a wick up into it as resistance. Uh, but that 20 weeks flat and, you know, I worry about that as a resistance zone. And on the opposite side of that, you know, the bottom side of the 
range is like 6,400. Um, so I just feel like we're in jail and we're not like, you know, we're not on the top floor of jail. Like I'd rather be in seven to eight K jail than six to seven K jail, six to seven K jail. I, it, it kind of freaks me out being so close to that 6,400 zone where I feel like we could retest down and, you know, go dance around five K's again. I don't like any of that stuff. And I feel like we really need to tackle this seven K and 7,200 get back in the, um, get back in that, you know, higher level consolidation range, um, which would require another move up from here. It's basically my TLDR. Yeah. I mean, trend wise, we're definitely not bullish for sure. Um, yeah. I do think the low time frame trend metrics are flipping neutral to bullish for the first time since the drop for sure. Um, another possibility is we get this Adam and Eve situation to 5k where the bottom of the Eve is 5k or if even a W another V. Um, yeah. So it's either VV or VU Adam Eve or just a regular W double bottom to 5k. I'd be okay with that. You know, yeah. a, a neckline at seven two with an inverted head and shoulders over the next hundred days. That's possible. Basically, you're you would be a buyer on on reasonable dips. And I misspoke on that twenty week. Seventy eight hundred is the twenty week. I think I was talking about the twenty day. I'm looking at that on my phone. I don't want to tax my computer too much while I'm streaming to the world. And then uh, the two hundred week is around, I think fifty six hundred. So as we've talked about before. You know, between the 20 week and the 200 week, when you're over the 20 week, I feel like you're really trending nicely historically with Bitcoin. And the 200 week is our uh, death of Bitcoin savior. So, like, that establishes my chop range. I'd just rather be at the top end of that. And right now we're smack dab in the middle at 6,400. So, like, this is all just a garbage uh, zone on a macro scale, but it's tradable if you can, if you can, if you can dance in that, in that mid five to mid sevens type of stuff. I don't. I haven't seen that, so that's why I've been looking for what are more, you know, high confluence setups that I can look for in alts and just hold spot Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm not like loading the boat, hoping for uh, Mega Moon to 8K or anything here for sure. Um, but I think the next hundred days. So just a few things in the background is Q2 has been the bullish, most bullish quarter for all of crypto since the history of time. We'll see if that holds up this quarter, considering all the things that are going on macro wise. Um, yeah, I guess we do have some some significant Bitcoin macro stuff coming up. Yeah, so either it's going to be super bullish or it's going to be just go. It's going to go to zero. You know, that's that's the general feeling I think amongst a lot of people here. Um, I agree with you. Six four is the danger zone level. Uh, it's good to see it above six four though. So over the next hundred days, I'm expecting some sort of chart pattern to emerge. Certainly, either it's a bullish reversal pattern like. W, the Adam Eve, the could be a, a ascending triangle like it was in uh, 2018, 2019. Uh, we could even get a bullish divergence with a lower low below 5K. That would also print a um, Bollinger Band W just based on those principles. Yeah, but you're looking for a high time frame pattern, which right now doesn't exist because all we did was just spike way down. Right. Um, I'm saying next 100 days. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but that doesn't. So, but con- but consolidating over the next hundred days doesn't make sense with Q two being bullish historically. Eh. So we'll, we'll see if that breaks down or not. But yeah, 
I mean, that gets me back to the legacy correlation. Has anybody made shirts? Uh, you know, those cream shirts, like cash rules everything around me. Uh, and now it's, you know, coronavirus rules everything around me. And maybe our our next move, we still seem to be pretty tied to legacy markets. Um, I've seen some pretty interesting correlations, not just to the S&P, but I've actually seen people uh, put Bitcoin next to copper. And, you know, Dr. Copper as this predictor of the macro market has always been interesting. Some people have shown good stuff about oil being correlated to Bitcoin. I think what really it gets to is all these markets are going together right now. So in that 100-day period, we should also be getting to some additional knowledge about what the coronavirus situation looks like, whether the United States and other countries are still in lockdown or going back into lockdown. Like there's rumors coming out of China right now and some of that stuff that gets a little dicey. So do you think, how do those correlations play into that macro thesis? Well, even if there's a cure tomorrow for coronavirus, there's months worth of economic fallout that we're going to have to deal with. Um, So I'm not like incredibly bullish on anything for the next five years, probably. (laughs) Like what's the end game here? You know, like, yeah, we get rid of coronavirus, but we just destroyed how many millions of people's uh, incomes over the past, over the next few months, you know? Yeah. I think five years is maybe if you're talking about like, uh, you know, new price discovery and legacy markets, but I think from a sense of where is maximum opportunity, uh, we only really had one leg down so far, but it was a really, really big leg. So the question is, could we do a second or a third leg down before we bottom? And then it's the same thing like we've been talking about with Bitcoin. Things have to find a pattern and work their way up, have a V bottom or you know a U bottom, grind their way into uh, some sort of positive trend again. So maybe five years for them, but maximum opportunity, I think we should see sometime in the next year optimistically and maybe like two years more typically for a recessionary environment. Five years would be like we just went through a depression. So, And I have seen a lot of the word depression out there. It's possible. It's not – I wouldn't say it's impossible with an unprecedented stoppage of the economy. I don't know that Bitcoin would – I mean either it dies or it moons in that scenario because – if in a, in a cyclical depression, if it's deflationary, I don't think Bitcoin does great until the recovery starts. If it's inflationary, then Bitcoin, you know, maybe it maintains that buying power argument like we've talked about a lot. I mean, to have having happen during this, to have a U.S. election happen during this, um, this it, the possibilities, the variables are just enormous, you know? Like, how can they pass $6 trillion worth of uh, anything during you know, at a transition period. So let's say, let's say Trump doesn't get reelected. How does that change everything as far as the uh, stimulus or disaster relief package, you know? Yeah, there's no real good control here. It's like everything's a variable. There's no, there's no control element. Was, uh, I'd have to look at the, the Hoover and FDR transition, what that was like. I feel like I should know that better than I do. But another thing I'm looking at is the VIX how uh, the VIX keeps coming down over the past week, which is what you want to see. It's still at 47, but uh, historically, as the VIX peaks and comes down, it's been a recovery period for crypto. Yeah, absolutely. My dog is making her presence known on the show. Uh, You know, lockdown, it means my kids are here, my uh, wife's here, I see neighbors outside, so we've got a lot of activity right now. So if Y'all hear my great Dane. She's just saying hello. 
Gotta I don't give know her some. She, I don't know some, if she's bullish or bearish. I think, some tranquilizer I think turkey. She, she does need some. I don't think it would work. She'd just get more excited. She <laughs> she once uh, she once swallowed an entire turkey leg in one motion. Like she dragged it off the counter when we had a bunch of friends over and had fried turkey. Dragged the put her paws up, pulled the turkey leg down, and then when she saw that I'd caught her, she slung it up in the air put her mouth up and then just swallowed it whole. And I didn't know which part of the turkey it was until 24 hours later it took her. And she just looked at me and she puked it back up completely whole. It was ridiculous. So that's uh, that's big dogs for you. She's a good girl though. She's 10 years old. Um, So yeah, I I love that VIX correlation. I think we were really onto something looking at that one and we've seen it playing out in – uh, the gold market as well, like gold's still strong as the VIX has struggled to make new highs. And I think that was a, a tradable signal based on the evidence that you shared and then what we saw in 08 with gold. Um, so I really like that look. Now, one more price thing before we get into some of the new stuff. I was hesitant to get interested in alts because I was like, what the heck is the macro argument for alts right now when we consider what's going on with everything else. Like who wants to invest in, uh, you know, these altcoins and lo and behold, that got involved in some just because the patterns looked more interesting on the Bitcoin relative pairs. Like I'm looking at the risk reward on Ethereum right now. It's at resistance at the moment, but I tried to snag the double bottom on the higher time frame, like the daily uh, time frame. There's this double bottom going on. And, it was really interesting to me. So I got, I got in it's not, I wouldn't enter it right now because it's not confirmed anything, but I see, I still see the same potential that we talked about last week with the risk reward being good on altcoins. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? think I'm an idiot for doing it in this fundamental environment or what? Well, with ETH again, I think it uh, is posting bullish reversal vibes on four hour timeframe, for example. So we had that flat Kumo at 170 on the four hour and I was talking about some edge to edge move that didn't pan out yet. And it technically got stopped out, which is what like my longs are closed right now on ETH. But um, yeah, I liked how the daily B bands were squeezing. I like how we're back inside the cloud again. I like how we're setting up for a bullish Kumo breakout by April 6th. I like 170. I like 200. The previous like, before the big down move, there was a consolidation around 200, as there typically is around psychological support resistance. Um, so 170 to 200 wouldn't surprise me, honestly. It's looking more bullish than bearish right now to me. Yeah, and it's at 141 right now. And I think even on the USD pair, Ethereum looks a little cleaner than Bitcoin does. Um, maybe just because there's a larger gap, you know, northward. Uh when it's not like directly at uh, resistance on the USD pair. Like there's some room if it breaks out, like you said, to what get what, like a 20% move or something like that. And a 20% move in Bitcoin right now is a really significant uh, significant clip. So naturally that leads me to believe that if Ethereum sees positive movement, then the BTC relative pair has opportunity too. And when I look at it on lower time frames, the, you know, I see potential to get up back to like 0.023 maybe 
0.0228, something like that, which isn't a nothing move. It's not like alt-season stuff, but it's a swing trade worth taking to me. Yeah, so I'll get to the BTC side in a minute, but the USD side, and even if you draw it as an ascending triangle, it's um, points to 200, 196, something like that. I mean, we're making higher lows on the resistance at 145-ish. So draw it as an Adam Eve, draw it as an ascending triangle. There's, I can't draw this in a bearish way, whereas the BTC side, I could draw it as like a rising wedge, for example, like you mentioned earlier. Um, the BTC charts, just looking at dominance, we're, we might be headed for a uh, golden cross on the 5200. We'll see if that does anything uh, in alt land. But I was looking at Doge this week. That's on the daily? Our, on the daily, yeah. Where else do you look at the 5200, Brian? <laughs> well, no. I was looking at I was looking at the 2200, which is... Uh, Who looks at the 2200? Hey, man. Johnny no Mo who, hates when no I say who, Bollinger Band midline. Um, no it, one who makes money like, looks at the 2200. <laughs> that is verifiably false. Um, but the the 20 and the 200 are right next to each other. It's just a faster version of what you get out of the 5200. 5200 yeah, is like know. super confirmation. Um, but the 20 and the 200 day are literally both at 0.0211. Yeah, I mean, you got to get to the whatever that is, fifth decimal to differentiate them. So they're crossing downwards right now and it's at that resistance. Um, You're talking about ETH BTC? ETH BTC on the daily. Yeah, I'm talking about BTC dominance. I see. Um, anyway, so I'll get to the ETH BTC Similar chart. thing, like the correlations on these altcoins are all significant. So like my exposure, I, I basically have Ethereum exposure and uh, you know a little bit of mid-cap exposure, but not much. And... I don't see the point of saying like I'm going to spread this out right now when Ethereum basically does the same thing as everything else. I'll agree with that. Uh, so I was looking at Doge this week because I wrote an article. So Doge BTC has this really nice six month accumulation. Maybe it's going on a year even. Yeah, nearly. I feel like it days. keeps having these fake outs to the upside uh, as a as a signal for calling all degenerates and and then it just drops back down into that jail jail zone. Right. So trade it or don't trade it. I don't care. I see it more as a weather vane for everything else, like we're saying. So anything above right. 33 sats, a close above 33 sats on the daily is what I'd be looking for as far as like alt season confirmation. Again, Q2 has been the most bullish period for everything, including alts. Regardless of how it looks right now, just that's historically what, what it's saying. Um, but if we look at the other BTC pairs, even Tezos BTC looks like it's got a falling wedge situation. Um, Tezos BTC is basically at previous all-time high zone. Yeah, and so, th- that's another... I mean, I was previously when I was looking for setups and I felt like Ethereum wasn't really where I was interested. Um, you know, I was looking to the, what are the other liquid altcoins. So I feel like if you're looking at Ethereum and you're looking at Tezos and Link and a handful of others, then maybe they'll have some individual setups. I just didn't see enough differentiation between them when I was looking at this round to feel more comfortable about one versus the other. So it just kind of leads me towards going towards the largest cap, most liquid, yada, yada. Um, yeah, Link, I agree. Link does it, like to outperform everything else when it's bullish, but I, I, I wasn't as confident in the pattern that I saw in Link, even though it was similar. It wasn't, it wasn't quite at that same decision point for me. I'm just looking at ETHBTC now, actually, and the trend metrics want to flip bearish, but it's 
basically back inside that previous accumulation zone, the Adam Eve area. Yeah, it's so, either yeah. going to be an Adam and Eve with a breakup, or it's going to, or you know, some a double bottom with a breakup, or it's going to convert into just some kind of bearish pennant thing and go down to the death zone back of early 2020 type of stuff. But I don't see that as a tradable setup. So what you're saying is it's going to go up or down, Brian? I'm saying That's, it's going to go up and down, but the, I, uh, I I got in when it, when the risk reward was really good. Now the risk reward is basically right at that resistance. So if I were to try to get back in now, it'd be on the top side of the 200, like 0.02, one, three, or, you know, like confirming the Adam and Eve uh, in that zone. And I'm still in it, but I could obviously get stopped out if it goes and makes a new daily low below 0.0204 ish. Um, if I choose to have that, that significant of a, of a stop. Um, but I think either way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write this moment, but if you get that close above the 200, above the 20, then I think trading Ethereum on the BTC pair on a top side retest of that would be a pretty nice trade setup because there's a lot of space beyond that. I guess. Depends what you define by space. I mean, <laughs> upside, what's the upside? 025? Uh, it, like, I wouldn't even have to go that far. I have a red line. I don't know what it goes back to, but the underside of early in the year consolidation, 0.0246, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so there's a yearly pivot there. There's the historic support resistance zone there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, to me, I'd see like I'd rather just trade the USD pair because the setup is obvious and clear. The entries and exits are clear. Whereas these BTC pairs, it's like I'm sorry, I'm not on margin on either of them, so I'm trading the same thing. I'm just choosing to hold Ethereum instead of Bitcoin in that scenario. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So if I'm trading on margin and I want to look for a specific setup yeah, you'd, with you'd a specific trade, pair. yeah, that's just me. Whereas if I'm buying these alts, it's because it's a falling wedge. It's because I think there might be a decent mean reversal type play in the near term. But yeah. I'm not necessarily trading the BTC pairs on leverage right now just because the setups are murky. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's uh, take a quick break before we get into the news to say a thank you to our sponsor for this episode, who is Nexo. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash Nexo. Nexo is the only provider offering instant crypto credit lines which you can use digital assets as your collateral to get cash in 45 plus fiat currencies and stable coins right now you uh can deposit bitcoin ethereum uh, xrp litecoin the nexo token bnb xlm eos and now pax g as that collateral uh, they offer the ability to earn eight percent daily compounding interest on euro usd the pound and stable coins uh which is 130x of what traditional banks offer, and yields suck right now. So you can slap your tethers on Nexo and get some uh, pretty good yield. Uh, they compound that daily, paid out daily, and then you can withdraw it at any time. They launched in 2018. Since then, established themselves as one of the world's leading crypto lending services, processed more than $1.5 billion for more than 550,000 users on their platform, and they are insured by audited custodian BitGo. So you can... Rely on them to keep your funds safe. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash Nexo to check it out. If you specifically want to earn on your collateral, go to ledgerstatus.com slash earn. And if you want to borrow and uh, take a loan out with Nexo, go to ledgerstatus.com slash borrow. Thanks to Nexo for being a Ledgerstatus partner. Hey, Josh, there was a little bit of news this week. Uh, you don't think it was that relevant necessarily, but I thought it was pretty cool, uh, which is that 
well, pretty cool as in, you know, good for them. Uh, Binance apparently has acquired coin market cap and the, the, the price on that was severe. <laughs> I saw there was a report, I think in the block is where it was uh, reported for worth $400 million. There's zero chance that was all cash. Uh, probably a lot of BNB or company stock or something. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about the BNB angle. Yeah. So look, the fact that there's 400 million floating around looking to be invested in a random, uh, what is the, what is essentially 400 a, million uh, CZ bucks. I mean, that's not 400 million USD. Right. But it's essentially a market cap table, right? Like at the end of the day, it's well known, but it's a market cap table. Uh, I haven't used it in the past two years. We were talking earlier, either of you. Uh, obviously, I work for a somewhat competitor in that BNC has similar product loosely, but um, I yeah, don't know. they're used differently, <laughs> though. Whereas BNCs is a data product that is, you know, the API is significantly more robust than the kind of free stuff that um, CoinMarketCap does. CoinMarketCap is where retail people go to look at the price of different crypto assets and see a daily performance summary and also historically have seen some scammy ads over the years. So, you know, they've got some uh, scars, but I guess the biggest point was, and this surprised me, is CoinMarketCap had apparently, you know, according to the Alexa types, uh, more traffic than Binance has, which is kind of amazing to me. Yeah, I still don't understand why why CZ wouldn't just create a competitor and like you know I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's hard to earn the you know like build up that type of traffic, and I guess if nothing else, this allows them to self advertise in front of a lot of eyeballs once the market has an upswing, and I think we're still basing if you will in terms of people paying attention to crypto so the opportunity for traffic to that site and then and the profit potential for like you know having a button that's like buy this and it sends them straight to binance in their country of choice is a pretty compelling argument but it's still a super hefty price to pay i mean that's it's it's a lot of money and i don't know how much cash they let out from it but they at least had to offer you know stock in in binance itself which is what's binance worth like something crazy right now and it's several billion uh, yeah allegedly like eight right. billion or something like that <laughs> there's some crazy number like that at one point um yeah so i mean good for the people at coin market cap uh it's interesting it'll be interesting if it ever comes out the details as far as the sale if they were pursued or if they were actively looking to sell because uh, I'm sure that CMC got plenty of offers over the years just because they were the number one place in town to go early on. Yeah, you see uh, all those YouTube videos and people got CMC like on the background of their of their stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, good for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, no big thoughts on it. Hey, I was actually also quoted, uh, I think last week in Coindesk because they... Brady over there wrote an article about Steam. We had briefly mentioned Steam forking, but they went through with that, and it turns out the fork of Steam uh, was worth more than than Steam for a little bit. I think it's called Hive, and someone was over there propping it up on Bitrex with like a five BTC <laughs> order. So it's nothing real, but a, another random thing in the land of uh, alternate universes of crypto where uh, something was going on, but it just... It amazes me that that still exists. Like 
that way down the line. Like Steam's not worth anything. Hive's not, whatever that thing is, is not worth anything, but an interesting community movement, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, good for them for like... Yeah, they uh, told Justin's son to (laughs) where to go and... and they they worked it. It seems like it's actually might work uh, if the value can hold up. I don't know what it is today, but the fact that it was double Steam for even a little bit was pretty funny to me. I mean, I've tried to use Steam it over the years. Have you used it at all? I uh, I registered for it. I don't know that I ever wrote an article on it, but when Steam see. was like pumping like crazy, you know, getting tipped in Steam was actually not the worst uh, ROI in the world. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't see why it was better than Medium at the end of the day, because that's what it is. Well, it's just a I don't medium. like Medium at all, but... I, I know you uh, don't like Medium, but I'm just saying, in yeah, general... But like, I agree. If you're like going to go plop up a post somewhere, and you don't really want your own domain, your own website, any of those things, then I don't think Steam was really offering too much on the table, other than the fact that you can, you know, snag a tip. Right. Like, it was cool. The same thing with, like, library.tv or whatever it is, uh, that token and that um, YouTube competitor... I don't know if you've used that. Yeah, heard of that yeah, the all, library. Yeah, the, the library token. Yeah, so I've tried to use that. It's just it was too cumbersome, and I don't know. It didn't really make any sense. But um, on the other side of that is Brave, and they're doing great. I think in a product you know, side. Yeah, I think they are, and I actually have to say they've been onboarding more advertisers, and it's one of the most tasteful ads that I, I, I don't even feel bad about it. Um, but they show a picture on a new tab and the new tab picture has, uh, you know, something related to whoever is the sponsor. Um, and it's, it's usually like a pleasant picture, but it has some mild relationship to the, the logo that's on the screen. So it's actually, I don't, I don't mind it at all. And it's, they're kind of delivering what they promised, which is amazing for an altcoin. I don't know that the altcoin has a lot of point and, uh, I think they've just recently enabled uh, Bitcoin deposits finally to be able to tip with Bitcoin or tip with Lightning or something. So maybe they're seeing the writing on the wall there too, but I don't know what that means for their token. But yeah, the product side of Brave is still I mean, still my go-to browser, both on desktop and mobile. Yeah, I don't think the token has that much of a future uh, going forward, but uh, I'll, I'll take Brave all day or I'll take uh, Bat all day long and sell it. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what yeah. do I care, right? <laughs> You'll be the the Zuko of Bat. Sure. Uh, I mean, the last I heard, Brave was looking to do another round of uh, funding, like raise. equity fundraising. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard too much about that recently, but yeah, it's a good yeah. product. Um. All right. So there's one other. It's a political thing, but still, I mean, we talk so much about uh, the Senator Loeffler, you know, coming out of backed being the ceo of backed being married to the ice guy apparently they've sold even more stock than was reported before do you think there's anything new to this story or is it just everybody's condemned her already and there's nothing more but apparently they sold like 18 million dollars worth of stock not just whatever three million and one of the things they bought was a company that makes ppe so not a good look for our first crypto senator (laughs) the court of public opinion is not on her side Definitely. You know. <laughs> no, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think she's gonna have the best chance chance at re-election. Regardless of you know if it was completely legal and above board, uh, the optics are just impossible to recover from. I think. But yeah. you know, what do I know? I'm not a senator, right? Yeah, but it wasn't wasn't good. But I thought I'd follow up on it because we we did discuss it a bit. 
Um, yeah, I, had, I did see a little bit more about that this week. I just thought, Ugh, man, this just looks worse and worse. Every headline, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, one more legacy thing that has been cracking me up lately is, you know, one of the justifications for the Bitcoin ETF refusal was that these are manipulated markets. And what we've seen in the oil market the past few weeks is like icing on the cake to me in terms of, uh, you know, having a double standard because we're just clearly seeing everybody involved, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and now Donald Trump with tweets that just pulls out of thin air talking about oil for the full purpose and only purpose of manipulating the price. And then it works to the degree of, I think oil off the bottom is up like 30% already. Um, and it's, an, it's just an incredible dichotomy to me to see Bitcoin relative, you know, the complaints about Bitcoin manipulation when we see what's trading in the oil market right now. I mean, people are afraid of change. People are afraid of what they don't know. And crypto represents all those things. So it's going to have a hard time getting in mainstream financial uh, comfortability, I guess. So, yes, I agree with you. It's pretty funny that uh, oil volatility is what it is, and they have plenty of ETFs around that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is just a mess. Um, we talked about funds shutting down. There's a report in... Uh, Coindesk just today of another crypto fund that is shutting down and blaming coronavirus for it. But Cambrial Capital, I don't know this one, but it was just reported. And uh, in terms of another one shutting down, is this is this bottom things? <laughs> Until we see more of that, it's not bottom things. Um, we need. They're uh, dubbing it Black Thursday, by the way. I didn't. Re- I fr- didn't realize we've named that uh, Bitcoin meltdown. Who Coindesk or Cambridge or Cambrial, whatever you Ian said. Allison at Coindesk called it Black Thursday, but I've seen that yeah. a few times. I mean, we need we need all the coins to die. There's a, something out about Factum, the coin. They were they were like a 2015 ICO. Uh, apparently, oh, they yeah. are they are selling stuff. I don't know all the details, but you know how they have like the Factum, uh, not console, but. Um, I forget what the term is. It was kind of like an STO type of thing, wasn't it? Sure, I don't remember I'm, what the fact. I'm talking about was. like I'm talking about governance specifically. All the coins oh. have like their own their own separate yeah, yeah. offshoot to like control the funding. So yeah, was, I don't know. It's it's a dumpster fire. They all are, but uh, we're gonna need to see more of these dumpster fires lit. I think because um, that's a, that's the common question, right? Like, do these ETH ICOs have a treasury still? Are they burning like crazy? Are they going to explode as the dev just going to stop because you know they can't pay people anymore are they going to try to string people along so they can exit scam that sort of thing all that stuff's coming yeah i think what was most amazing to me with the ones the uh crypto funds so far that we've seen that are shutting down is how it's apparently several of them were not only trading on margin but really didn't have near the risk management built into their trading systems that you would have expected. Um, like no fail safe, uh, market stop or, you know, or they weren't isolating their leverage in any way to the degree where they were losing that significant of a percentage of their overall fund. I mean, I thought people had to at least be somewhat professional in order to run these things. And I feel like, uh, 
we we definitely uncovered some some junk with that Black Thursday. Well, there was one hedge fund, legacy hedge fund, that was down twenty percent for the quarter. So, <laughs> well, that's Ray Dalio's fund. Um, yeah, I mean, they clearly uh, risk on when they should have been risk off, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the theory on that one was actually that it was uh, exposing a failure of risk parity, but they got caught off sides. Yeah, I think you were talking about that last. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a bit of the Rona. Uh, Got to be no, careful, man. Don't get it. You were uh, d- discussing that Dalio fund, I think, last podcast, and that risk parity trade or whatever. Um, so, yeah, ouch, right? 20%. Yeah, so the idea is supposed to be that, you know, if stocks go down, um, you know, the bonds will keep you safe or whatever and go up. But if that correlation goes away, then it messes up a lot of portfolio strategies where then their only option is to liquidate stuff. And um, and it just happens whether they like it or not. So if uh, if it's main, <laughs> if that breaks down, we got a lot bigger problems. But there was at least a temporary breakdown of it. And also they said their macro thesis got turned upside down. You know, Dalio was the one that uh, was spouting off cash as trash. And you know, cash was doing okay there for a bit. It still is. The dollar's quite strong. And, you know, I really respect his macro analysis more than just about anybody. So I actually have some confidence. If I still had to put money somewhere, I'd give it to Dalio, no doubt. Um, but they they are they lo- they always catch the headlines because you know when someone's the when someone's the super saint, then if if you if you catch them in sin, then you want to want to talk about it, right? Sure, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what's what are the repercussions for them? You know, is it? Do people just say, "Okay, is enough's enough"? And just well, their investors or... can uh, withdraw their funds, and apparently, Saudi Arabia is a significant investor and has done that, and that makes it to where they have to unwind even more of their position. That's one of the problems that happens with a hedge fund is if you start performing poorly, and you you compound your losses because you have to liquidate even more of your portfolio at the worst times because your investors are recalling their funds. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, right? Which is amazing for, uh, for the Bridgewater funds because those things have been oversubscribed and had waiting lists forever. Like it's super hard. It was historically super hard to get in those funds. Well, not so much anymore, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think on the legacy front, and I don't know how I feel about crypto having an, another leg down. I mean, I do think crypto could definitely go down some like we talked about, but I don't have a strong amount of confidence in the legacy markets right now. Do you think that we're setting up a period where the correlation can break between legacy and crypto? Or do you think where it goes legacy, so we'll see crypto for a while? I haven't looked at the correlation in the near near term recently but the 30-day rolling correlation coefficient with spx and btc has continued to decrease from basically 100 percent. yeah it's about 77 percent correlated over the past 30 days uh, but obviously it feels like it's still you know in lockstep with a lot of this stuff yeah i don't know i think it'll take time honestly if it happens at all it's it's gonna take months to uh, decorrelate, decouple. I mean, the stuff that's happening with gold and the physical and paper stuff on the COMEX side, uh, that could yeah. spill over into crypto when people realize, like, I can't buy gold anywhere because it's just not for sale. Like, what do I do? 
Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that with the physical gold thing. It feels like just a uh, a problem because of freight and issues with settlement for physical gold. And I don't I don't take that as seriously. I know a lot of people are saying, "Less, oh, your GLD ETF is worthless." I'll that's a bet I'll take. It's not. I'm not panicking in term in that sense. But I know there's a lot of dislocation there because if you can actually get your hands on physical gold, it's trading at a significant premium. I think what interests me in that regard, well, one, that's a bullish argument for Bitcoin all by itself because custody with Bitcoin is much easier to manage. Uh, but then also, is gold, is paper gold, if you will, is it going to trade up to the value that we're seeing in physical gold? Uh, or is is it just going to push the pull the price of gold down in general as everything starts to reset? Yeah, I haven't looked at it uh, recently. I don't know if custody is easier, but delivering settlement is definitely easier. I think custody yeah, freaks a lot of people fair. out. That's fair. I, um, I I I kind of equate the delivery and and custody because like to to you and I, custody is no brainer. But I think to ninety nine percent of people, I always compare it to my aversion to custody of metals like. I can custody crypto. Okay, fine. But the idea of the thought of having self-custody over metals just freaks me out. Right? <laughs> it's like, I don't have a vault. What do I do? I put it in the bank? You know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think custody is too different between them. Like it depends on, I mean, how <laughs> it depends on how many bars of gold you have to sock away somewhere. Uh, how much different that is from your, your ledger or treasure or whatever private keys you, you manage. With gold, I still think of part of the custody. That's the fact of you're sending it to custody and taking it out of custody. So that component of it, sending Bitcoin is certainly easier. And other things too, like I've been experiencing this recently. It's all the all the financial people, the banks. They're not at the bank, and they're um, they're super busy with all this bailout stuff that they've got going on now. So if you're trying to work with a banker on your normal stuff of, you know, sending, receiving money or, you know, questions about accounts and those types of things. Like that's another place where I'm seeing a case for the unbanked or, you know, whatever, banking on crypto, things like that. Historically, I would have been like, why is this a thing? It's not really a problem. Now we're just seeing every small business in the world applying for loans and, you know, Stacking up in these uh, different lending platforms, making regular traditional banking harder, potential runs on banks for cash, which I think are temporary, but interesting stuff going on in the world that, again, increases our bullish uh, fundamental narrative for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's like all this traditional stuff has issues still after being hundreds of years old. And it's like, here's this new thing we have that could be used, right? Oh, yeah. Those uh, paycheck protection programs one there's like no restrictions on who can apply so basically you know every accountant was sending out to their clients hey if you're a small business literally any small business you need to be applying for this and then in addition to that so they're going to get overwhelmed with applications and how do they even determine it's going to be first come first serve whoever knows the paperwork system best and then on top of that i saw a, a tweet thread yesterday that today's april 3rd and as of the evening of april 2nd um, the night before these lending applications could begin, the Treasury and the SMB were fighting over the application process, and there was not even a really finished paperwork uh, workflow for people to go off of. So I don't know how that went off today for that first day of lending applications, but it was a total disaster right up until the last second. Wow, I totally thought that uh, this government would 
you know, really lock things down. <laughs> that they surprise. would nail it. What a surprise. And then, uh, you know, in addition to that, we talked about last week, but some people, the whatever the checks mailed to you could take, uh, I saw a better description of it, but the first ones were going to be like four weeks after these the initial payments that were direct deposited. And then I think they could print 3 million checks a week or something like that. So from the first day they start printing to the last is a month's difference, uh, several months difference. So somebody that doesn't have a direct deposit from the IRS, they, it's going to take them up to like four months to get their money. But who didn't have a problem at all is somebody on Social Security. The government can just tack it onto their Social Security. And they're the ones already getting the dadgum monthly check to stabilize themselves. So the, the least needy in this scenario, in my opinion at least, someone already living off Social Security – they they get the the little bump in their check right away, which is hilarious. I don't know about least needy, but one thing not I least haven't... needy, but like they had they you know if you're getting Social Security, I don't care what, what what's Social Security, but you know they get their groceries paid for, whatever it is. You're making it sound like it's a endless paid vacation, right? <laughs> no, I'm not but... saying I'm not saying that. I just think it's ironic. Like I think I think the people who are in most need of the uh, quick cash are going to be the last ones to get it. I'll put it that way. I agree with you there. One thing I haven't seen discussed is, okay, let's say these checks are delayed. You're not evicted for the next couple months uh, from your domicile or whatever, where you live right, for rent, mortgage, whatever. Um, but let's say you get evicted before you get your money, which isn't enough to cover rent anyway for most people. Yeah. And then you never end up getting your money because when you got evicted, you don't have a PO box, you don't have a forwarding address, you have none of this stuff, right? Because most people who possibly are under the circumstance don't even realize this is a possibility, or they just go homeless. You know, so that that just compounds the problem further. I think there have to be some ha- has to be some stack channeling where people are being told, "Don't you dare evict," you know, your tenants and. That's why this whole thing is leading to a necessity to continue to do bailouts, continue to print money, and keep the train rolling until it gets settled because it's just a disaster all over the place. And you know we've already seen the first start of that. Trump talking about another two trillion for infrastructure, which is fine, whatever. Um, but they're on a pace of two trillion dollars a week. I thought I was being con- uh, liberal with my estimate of printing ten trillion plus, but shoot, we're promised 40% plus of the way there already. I mean, didn't he run on an infrastructure plan? I don't know. Our, our infrastructure gets a D minus in this country. Yeah, our infrastructure is bad. Know. I'm not saying it's a terrible place to spend money. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, everything's coming out of the woodworks when everything when the economy's in the crapper. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it'll be interesting if the wall gets wrapped up in uh, that infrastructure bill, you know. Yeah, in terms of the payments and stuff, both of us agreed that we don't think this is going to be necessarily some bullish impulse for crypto. It's not like somebody's going to get there. I don't remember what it, what it is. What you know, six hundred thousand bucks, twelve hundred, whatever it is. They're not going to get that and just dump it straight into Bitcoin. We don't think. Um, but I still want to put it on the chart as a as a as a date to know like when are these checks starting to go out. And I have zero doubts in my mind that anybody receiving the full amount, twelve hundred dollars or whatever it is per family. Will not be purchasing any crypto <laughs> at all. Zero <laughs> percent, like not not as someone out there will spend it on crypto, but I don't know who they are. But nevertheless, I, just, I don't see it. What'd I'm, you write this week? Ah, uh, man, you got to put me on the spot like that. I, Grin, which usually gets a lot of more traction than it did. 
I think alts in general are just, people just don't even care at this point just because they're down so much again. Uh, Monero, Grin, and Doge sort of wrote about this these and, past three. And, and what do you have coming up? I have a Q1 review, which is going to be pretty lengthy, I think. Yeah, that's always eight. one of my favorites that you do. So those are so people be on the lookout for that. It's a super in-depth entire review of Bitcoin in Q1. So you'll have a bunch of mining stuff and everything else in that, huh? Yeah, so if you read nothing from me at all, I would read the, the Q quarterly reviews. Um, ETH, EOS, Atom, BTC, that sort of thing. Nice. Yeah. How Sounds about yourself? Good. Got anything uh, that works? I have no idea what I have going on. I'm just trying to keep my head above water, you know? Yeah, sure. One last thing. I was looking at this gold chart again, and uh, it's got some pretty large bearish divergences on the weekly and the monthly. That might have played a part in the uh, down move. You think gold recently. does? Yeah, look, look at gold on the weekly and the monthly. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I mean, it's it, gold's got to grind up. It's not an easy path, technically speaking, and there's plenty of space for a drawdown. But, you know, I, I like I like gold personally. I still want exposure to gold, exposure to dollars, exposure to Bitcoin, and apparently right now, exposure to Ethereum. So <laughs> we have that going for us. Nevertheless, I appreciate y'all joining us on this episode of LedgerCast and go to LedgerStats.com for more. Check out Josh's stuff and we'll catch you next time. 